Welcome, everybody, to the Thrive Street Podcast, Mastering the Art of Thriving at Life, where we talk about cha creating change in our lives and in the world around us. I'm your host, Jeremy Jones, a.k.a. JJ, and I have my co-host here, Gigi. Say hello, Gigi. Hi. <laughs> so today's podcast is a, is a two-parter. We're going to talk about um, being stuck, and, and uh, I really like this concept of when you're stuck in something, like you're trying to, you know, you feel like you're in a rut or whatever. I feel like the uh, um, one of the con. I really like the concept of when you're stuck. It's because there's equal forces pulling you in both directions, or equal forces pushing you, and so you can't move. And a lot of times, what people will try to do if they're trying to establish a new habit or 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 change their habits, they'll only work it from one side. And and what we see is, you know, if if your habit is to exercise more, it's like, well, what are you really exercising more for? Oh, I want to lose weight. It's like, well, if you're if you're just exercising more, but you're not changing your nutrition or you're not um, trying to be active in other parts of your life, there are other areas where we can make small changes. And so by maybe taking away the resistance on one side and then adding pressure to the other side, that's how we can start moving the needle. Does that make sense? Yeah, what's the second thing we're gonna talk about? The second thing we're gonna talk about is, the, uh, um, is this 40 push-ups prevents heart disease report that's, that's come out recently. And uh, we'll talk about you know, what that means. And, and uh, basically it says with the, the research cohort, it was a bunch of men and the men who could do more than 40 pushups had um, little to no in incidences of, of uh, cardiovascular events over a period of 10 years compared to people who did less. And I think, I think this, the, the research was, you know, if you could, if you could uh, only do 10 at the time of initial testing compared to 40, there was you know, orders of magnitude differences in the, the cardiovascular uh, benefit, if you will. So if you can do 40 push-ups, then you save your life. Is that it? Yes. That's what the study it said. That's what, that's kind of what the headlines are saying. Right. So like one of the, one of the ones I had here was, you know, it was just basically saying push-up capacity could be a no cost way to assess cardio risks. And that, that's, that might be a, a, a more true statement than some of the other sort of, you know, clickbaity headlines that say like push-ups prevent heart disease, you know, and it's like, Ooh, wait, Whoa, slow down. There's the research. <laughs> we love the sensationalism of it. Right. Like it's like, yeah. Oh, I can do 40 push-ups. Nah. Anyway, we'll talk more about that. Tell me about, um, so we, when we were prepping for this podcast and JJ said, you know, we want to talk about being stuck. So I kind of want to talk about like, what, what is that actually, when you say being stuck, like I know how I feel when I feel like I'm stuck and it, it kind of is a lot of like what, what you had kind of said there about the push and the pull, but like, why don't, What's an example in time where you felt stuck and what were you going through? How did that kind of come about? Um, it could be like stuck at work, you know, like you feel like you're in a rut at work and you're not, and you're not uh, making progress or, or, you know, uh, um, you know, you've just been in the same place, you know, and, and you're, and you're frustrated and you feel like you've been making effort and you're doing things, but it's not changing anything. Um, you know, so for example, if, if at your job, you're just feeling, you know, you're dreading going to work and you're feeling frustrated and, and, you know, so sometimes people will try to, uh, you know, work harder or take on more projects and all that stuff, but sometimes you might need to rest more, you know, so it might be a combination of what are you doing outside of your work that gives you life and makes you excited. And then, you know, adding, maybe adding on some projects that you were excited about at the same time where we can, we can, again, remove some of the, uh, um, the resistance that we have while also adding pressure to, to move towards something we like. You know, with, with clients, with a lot of people that I've worked with, um, you know, food is always an issue. And I feel like people always, you know, they know they need to eat healthier, 
right? And they under, they know what they need to eat, they know what they need to do, but they just can't seem to, you know, make that change or make progress. And so what we end up seeing is, is we end up seeing people just, again, kind of making an effort or, or, or putting a bunch of extra effort into something that's not really helping them. You know, understanding that where are the points of leverage? Where can we put the fulcrum to use the, get the maximum return on, on our investment? So, how do you huh? How do you decide that? Well, I think talk, talking to a mentor, talking to a coach, you know, um, doing, doing some research, but even just sitting down and, and, you know, from like a nutrition standpoint, you know, having healthier food in the house and doing food prep is a lot of work and it's a, it's a huge benefit toward, um, toward making your goals. But if you still have all the bad food around, you know, you're going to be eating the bad food as well. And it makes it a lot harder to avoid those foods if they're in the house or they're, they're easily accessible. So kind of taking that, taking the foods away and moving them, you know, moving them to a, a crate in the garage and stacking another crate on top of it. So it's there, but it's not easy. You don't have easy access to it. And then filling the refrigerator with, you know, with, with your meal prep, with your prepared foods. Again, it makes, it makes it easier to eat the healthy food and the prepared stuff and harder to eat the bad stuff. And making both those changes is much better than just trying to do one or the other. Mm -hmm. I like that. So it's kind of like, you know, getting back to your push pull analogy, right? So if you're going to, if you're going to change your nutrition, you simultaneously, you simultaneously have to pull yourself towards the good stuff and push away from the bad stuff, right? So you're going to push away from your old habits and how I always look at it as like, your everything in my mind, everything is like on a timeline, right? So your old self versus your new self, right? And like, who's your new self going to be? Well, you're going to pull your new self towards these, these better habits. And you're going to simultaneously push away from your old self, who you're going to leave in the past, and they're going to be left with like the bad habits and they're, they're gone, but you're kind of pulling yourself away from there. But if you don't, if you're just trying to add stuff in, it doesn't work. Cause then there can be not, you're not changing anything. You're just trying to add in stuff. Right. And that doesn't actually make a difference. Right. So. Like, yeah. Yeah. So in the, in the, like the fitness realm, which is where a lot of people struggle, they're trying to add a, a workout regimen to their schedule. And, and if their schedule is already so full of other activities, it's so much easier to, you know, that falls to the wayside. It's easy to blow it off, you know, instead of also creating space, you know, so, you know, maybe not, you know, not watching as much Netflix or, or, you know, there's other activities that just suck up a lot of time and, and then you don't have time to exercise. So you have to take something away, you know, so that you can add something more. I think another one is for kind of the routine of going to the, going to the gym is removing those barriers. You know, like I, I, I like the idea. Um, uh, I'm not a big morning workout person, but I totally get it is, you know, you have your workout clothes ready you know, maybe you sleep in your workout clothes. I've heard of people even doing that. And, and so as soon as you, as soon as you wake up, you go down, you go downstairs, put your shoes on and go for the run or whatever. And before you don't even really awake yet until you're like away from your house. And then you're like, Oh crap, well I might as well finish. You know, I'm already here or you're driving to the gym and you start waking up and you're like, wait, I'm already driving to the gym. I didn't even have a chance to like think about this. And it just, and there's, you've removed the barriers, you know, there's no option. I think that's why morning people tend to be a little bit more, um, uh, consistent with their training because there's less things that can interrupt them and change their day if they try to do it at the end of the day. You know, it's it, there's not there's you know you're not answering emails, you're not doing all those things, you're just getting up and going to the gym, and then it's done for the day. And then no matter what happens the rest of the day, you still got your 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 workout in. So we remove some of the some of the the things that can interrupt us. Um, and so that's that's a really 
good way to get it done too. And, and like I said, then those other things that, that you won't have as much time to watch Netflix because you had to work late or you had evening activities, but you still got your workout done in the morning. That makes sense. I like that. So how much of like being stuck? So we talked about kind of, this is what it feels like to be stuck. Um, for me, it's a lot of like, I'm not moving forward. I feel like I'm, and it is exactly like what you described is that, that frustration almost where you kind of like, you subconsciously tune into your life one day or you consciously tune into your life one day as opposed to just like being on, on autopilot and you're like, huh, is this really like, is this what I want? Is this really happy? Like, am I happy with the career? Um, am I happy with the way things are going right now? And then you kind of do that self-reflection where you're, you figure out like, what is that thing that you're stuck in? That is a, that's a conscious process that I have to go through. Do you think that that is like normal? Like, do you think for most people they have to, they have to actively reflect and actively clear that space and actively go through that process? Or do you think that for more people, it's just, it's more organic? Well, I think it's happening more now because there's so much distraction in our lives, right? So, so people are, you know, our work is, is very, you know, dominating. And then any moment, you know, where we're bored or we're in line or whatever, we pull out our phones and we're checking email, we're checking social media, you know, so we get home and we have, you know, all of the, the internet to entertain ourselves. And so we're not having these times where we, where we reflect. And so time almost is speeding up because they don't have these moments of reflection. And I also think too, when people are getting, you know, they feel time stress and they're, and they're um, feeling overworked and stressed out, taking the time to sit down and think about that is like work, you know? And, and so they just avoid it. And they get, like you said, they get in these routines and they're not actually thinking about like, you know, why am I always coming home and grabbing that thing out of the fridge? Or why am I always skipping the gym and going straight home? You know, what's, what's, you know, I need to take a step out and look at myself from as a third party and look at my behaviors and, and say, okay, what, you know, what was I thinking or what was I doing right before that thing happened? And, and what was I feeling so that I can then say, is this, you know, am I doing this because it's a habit or am I doing it because, you know, for some other reason? And can I, can I address that with, with, uh, uh, you know, a different behavior or, or some other thought process? And what do you think triggers that to even happen? Like that, that kind of like, I should like, why, why am I doing this? What, what would cause you to even think about that in the first place to like well, tune in and start analyzing? And well, I, I think, I think the, um, the best thing to do is just, is make it part of your routine, right? Or, or um, finding a, a reoccurring thing that happens to where you stop and reflect. You know, I, I've, I've done some practices recently where um, they, you know, they basically said like, pick a, you know, pick a, uh, I think it was through clearerthinking.org, which is a really neat website. They have all these little tools and things to help you like analyze your life and think about things differently. And it was like one that was like, you know, uh, um, gratitude, like how do you you know, express more gratitude in your life? And it was like, every time you see your, your reflection in a mirror, stop and take two deep breaths and just ref and be in, and express gratitude. Think about being grateful for your life and everything that is going well and, and think and uh, grateful for things that aren't going bad. And, and, uh, um, and, it, and, you know, just having that regular, uh, reminder that trigger finding a trigger to say okay you know so instead like when you're driving um, to work or home from work you know at least once a week you know stop and, and reflect you know turn off the the radio or turn down the radio or turn off the audio book if you're me and and um, and reflect and and say like okay like you know where where am I at right now you know in my in my week in my daily routines you know am I am I actually doing the things that are helping me make progress or am I just going through the motions again and, and avoiding 
that extra work. I think that's really smart because I think what ends up happening is that if you don't consciously self-reflect on, you know, are you living the version of the life that you want to live, it ends up happening organically once a year on your fucking birthday, right? And that is like, <laughs> I know so many people that, you know, as they start getting closer to their birthday, they start to get like, it's this like fear of like, am I where I want to be in my life? Why have I been doing this? Nothing's changed. I'm, you know, and especially for like, for women that are my age, a lot of it is like, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I'm not as far along in my career. I don't know what it would be like for a dude, but like, that's certainly the things that women worry about. Right. And it's like, I don't have kids and you can only have kids so long. Right. And then you have to kind of, but if you're not, I think that if you're not forcing yourself to analyze that more often than that once a year, like if you're really only self-reflecting once a year, then that's when the panic sets in. And that's, I think when people have like these little crises and these, these freakouts, right. Where they're just like, Oh my God, like I'm 35 and I'm turning five to 35 this year. I'm 35 and I, you know, whatever, like whatever it might be, what have I got to show for my life? And then, it, but it's like, if you look at that every week, then you can keep yourself on track. Right. And you can kind of say like, no, I am happy where I am. And I, and I did that thing last week that was bothering me and I took care of that. And I am, you know, I did talk to my boss about getting that raise and I did, you know, I made it to the gym twice this week instead of none, like the week before. But if you're only leaving it once a year, it's like, shit, I didn't work out at all this year. And now you've gained 15 pounds. And then it's like, oh, I'm out of shape. And I, and then it, it's overwhelming. Right. So it's like, if you, if you take little bites and you're constantly improving and constantly self-reflecting, it's a lot easier. Right. Like it's, it just, you know. It's yeah. Really well, it, and it's interesting. I, I was reading a, a blog post by Seth Gooden and he was talking about like some problems are easier to sell, you know, and, and it's because, you know, we're always, you know, human beings are always, you know, worried about the, you know, that exact moment of, you know, you know, survive and, and, um, and don't waste energy. And so, so it's like the, the problem of like the long term, like health effects of smoking or, or not exercising, all those things are really hard for people to change because of the, 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 the negative stuff is just, it's, it's so nebulous and it's so far in the future, but like s sitting down and reflecting about like, okay, if I stay on this path, where am I going to end up? You know, do I really want to do that? Or can I make, you know, a 1% change today? And, you know, a 1% change every day for a year is like seven, you'll change like 17%, you know, because of compound interest, you know, versus, you know, 5% change every week is much, much less. And so, you know, just making those small changes every day, but you have to be aware of what, you, of what you're doing and you're not just following the same routines that have gotten you the same results. Um, and, you know, I, I, had a, I had a thought when you were talking was, was that, you know, I actually like Facebook. The one, one of the things I do like about Facebook is the, is the like, you know, this time, you know, your memories, like this time eight, yeah. eight years ago. And it's like, oh, it's kind of cool. You know, you get to see these posts and see these photos usually that, and that's sometimes a good time to reflect, you know, like to sit there and say like, yeah, that was a really good time in my life or that was a time, you know, or have I changed since that has happened? And, you know, what, what sort of uh, behaviors or things am I doing that, that have kept me in the same, on the same path when I know I had this goal eight years ago and I'm still stuck and I haven't made any progress, you know, so just finding those moments to stop and reflect. Um, obviously, this is the most important why people should, reason why people should journal. You know, all the, you know, successful people in the world or the vast majority of them uh, journal daily or weekly. And it gives you that, that moment to reflect on your life and to write things down and go back and read. It's really motivating to see how far you've come if, you're, if you are making progress. Um, and so I think that that's, a, uh, that's another really powerful tool. 
is just making that time to, to journal. How do you go or how do you recommend that people basically make sure that that, that self-reflection time becomes proactive as opposed to a terrifying spiral into helplessness? <laughs> like well, I'm sure you probably felt that right when you kind of take a reflection and you're like, oh my God, my life is awful. And then, and then you get over it and move on, but don't actually do anything to change for the future. Like, like how do you stay in that proactive mindset? Yeah. So, so um, I think the biggest thing is small changes. I think that most people try to make, uh, they try to take bite off more than they can chew. Right. So what, it, what ends up happening is, is, you know, they, they, they set these grandiose goals and, and then they don't make progress on them or they fall off relatively quickly. And then, and then they get frustrated and demotivated because they feel like they haven't, they haven't done anything. I think this is a big problem in, in the gyms, you know, like people will start a new gym regimen and they'll, you know, get a new gym membership. And then they'll also try to change their diet at the same time and trying to change, like I'm eating healthier. So now they're eating less calories. They're changing their schedule. And so they're trying to go to the gym and they're trying to make all these changes and then they start to fall off and then they get frustrated and then they stop going to the gym and they stop eating healthy. And it's all these, all the negative effects. So s smaller changes are going to always going to be better because um, you know I really, one of my one of my biggest uh, uh, influencers is Dan John. He's just a coach and kind of a life person. But um, but yeah, he 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 says like you know what I want people to do is is just uh, drink more water. Like in January, the whole goal is just drink more water, you know. And then the next month, it's something else or something. It's insanely simple, and it's it's so much easier to make those those small changes and then and then celebrate those wins um, rather than, rather than, like I said, like try to say like, okay, I'm going to work out, you know, four, three days a week. I'm going to go for a run one day a week. I'm going to, I'm going to eat healthy every, every meal. And all these changes start to um, start to add up. And like you said, it becomes this additive thing and they're adding too much when they're already feeling, you know, short on time and tax. And then what about, so getting back to the original beginning of this conversation, which was about being stuck. And, you know, we had kind of opened with saying that you have to simultaneously push and pull. Do you think that that in of itself is overwhelming for people, right? Like adding in less of water is not the same as adding in water and cutting out pop, mm -hmm. right? So, but then if you're only adding stuff in and you're, if your steps are too little, then you're not going to make a change at all, right? So I think you kind of have to find that balance between like, how can I simultaneously that person behind and pull myself forward into a better version of myself with not without overwhelming myself and continuing to stay stuck. So it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's important that you, you pick the things that are going to give you the most return on your investment, you know, and you know, if some, if you are somebody who drinks, did you say pop? Is that what it, is that what you called it? I wasn't, sure you, I wasn't sure if you said pot or pop. I know pot's legal now in Canada. So <laughs> That's fine. Nobody cares about pot anymore. No. I know. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it depends. Like if 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 you're somebody who drinks soda pop at every at uh, every meal or all throughout the day, diet or otherwise, that could be really it could be really challenging to to drink water instead. You know. But for some people, just you know, making sure you have a full water bottle near you at your work or whatever, and and drinking it, trying to finish it once or twice a day, can be an easy an, an easy ad. So it all depends on the person and depends on their goals and. But you're right. It, it, you know, you want to make the, the. It's always better to go over the small changes than the than the big changes. Uh, well, and that's why you know, to your point on like it depends on the person and everything. That's why it's so important to have a fucking mentor. 
right? To have someone that knows you and can say, no, you're not, that is a terrible goal for you because you're like, that's too much for you. Don't bite off more than you can chew. We've done this before. You've consistently had these massive changes that you've made and then fallen back on them. Why don't we try a little change this time? Or they might say the reverse. They might say, hey, you know what? We did really well with adding water in. So why don't we increase the challenge a little bit? Increase the challenge a little bit. You seem to be handling this fine. And like, until we can go like all in. I know I'm the kind of person that needs to change everything all at once. You know, like, and that, otherwise I feel like I'm not doing enough. And I'm, But I have success with that. And not everybody does. A lot of other people need like just well, a little bit. Well, and on, on, that, on that vein, it's a little bit, a little bit different than the strategy of, of the push-pull, but, but sometimes completely changing the environment, it makes change easier because you're, you know, you're, you're taken out of your old routine completely. So now you're starting from scratch, right? So, so that can be, that is a strategy that, that works. Um, but like I said, I think a lot, a lot of times people will fail on that if, if they don't know themselves well enough that they'll, they'll create this new routine or this whole new thing and, and it's not balanced. You know, there's not a, there's too much work or too much stuff added, not enough stuff taken away. Or like you said, maybe they didn't change it enough to where there was enough, enough change happening fast enough for that person. And so I think that, that that's just trial and error for a lot of people. And again, having a mentor or a coach be, you know, able to um, see it, see it from an outside perspective and then give you the the right advice for the right things, um, I think is really important for that. Yeah, like the outsider's view where it's like, imagine like you're literally stuck in like a ditch, right? And you're, you're holding on to like the piece that's behind you, but you're, you can't get quite like, quite like crest that piece in front of you. But if you can't see what's on the other side of that crest, maybe it's not as big of a challenge as you think. And like, because you're in the ditch, it seems like it's so unsurmountable and so challenging but someone who's standing outside and watching you is like dude it's like a 30 foot or it's like a 30 inch wall like just step over it mm -hmm. it's not hard right but you're there and you're like oh there's this wall in front of me um and i'm sorry well, to break the wall but because i know i'm not a big fan of the wall but but uh i'm not a big fan of spending money for the government <laughs> but but uh the 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 that's a really good point is that is that a lot of times what the the number one thing a, a mentor or coach does is uh um provide you with belief you know so a lot of times we, we you know we do our research or we think we're going to do this thing and it's going to help us but we start doubting it is is it really working is it really helping us so then it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because if we don't believe it's going to work um, we're not going to put as much effort into it. We're not going to be as consistent. Um, there's also the placebo effect, which means, you know, like if we believe in something, it's, it's going to work better than if we don't believe in it. Um, and so, you know, having someone say like, no, if you do this, you will be successful. And they're a pers person of authority and they, and they have the experience and they can tell you that that can help motivate you to just climb over that, climb over that hurdle, you know? And so um, again, even just, Having a having a mentor um, can be a can be a pull, you know. It can be something that's going to pull you where you know you know or or push you from behind, if you will, um, and, and break out of that break out of that rut. Cool. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully you guys got got a little piece piece out of that, and just think about something in your life that that uh, again something small that, that or some change that you know that can make that can make an impact, especially over time, and think about one small change you can make to you know make it harder to do that bad habit or make it easier to do that good habit and then, and then work it from the other end as well. Always think about the working on the extremes on the ends. Um, let's talk about this, this, uh, uh, this report about the, uh, the, the 40 push-ups. So 
I'll just do a, read a brief, uh, brief overview. The researchers analyzed health data from 1,104 active male firefighters collected from 2000-2010. The, the average age was about 39.6, and the body mass index was 28.7. Um, and then they were, they were tested on their push-up capacity and submaximal treadmill exercise tolerance. Um, and then they, were, they completed annual examinations um, and medical questionnaires. During the 10-year study, 37 CVD-related outcomes were reported. Um, cardiovascular disease, for you guys who don't know, and um, all, but, all but one occurred in the men who completed 40 or fewer reps during the base exam. The researchers calculated that the men able to do 40 push-ups had a 96% reduced risk, risk of cardiovascular um, events. Um, those that could, then those who could do um, 10. So, if you, so basically, if you could do 40 at the beginning of the study, and I think if you maintain that, then you had a 96% less chance of having some cardio event. Now, one thing I will point out is this is men only, and these are firefighters, which tend to have you know, a somewhat physical job, but uh, um, heart attacks are very common. It's one of the most common um, health-related issues to uh, firefighting. So those of you guys who are firefighters and know firefighters, um, they, there's, there's a, um, sitting around not doing much, and then all of a sudden the alarm bell goes, and you have to rush around, throw on your gear, and you know, usually it's, you know, somebody who got stuck on the toilet, but, but in a lot of, but if you have to go to a fire, um, you know, you're wearing, you're, you know, you're wearing your respirator, you're wearing your turnouts and it's, it's a very, you know, intense, you know, physically it's very hard on people. So as firefighters age, you know, it, it's harder to go from zero to a hundred, um, in a short period of time. And so then we see these cardio events happening, um, to, to firefighters more often than I think the, the average population. Um, but one thing that was interesting, it said that the treadmill didn't correlate um, like the push-ups did. And again, most people think of treadmill as cardio, right? And so you think, oh, if I do treadmill stuff and I have a good treadmill score, that should be a, you know, that should help prevent help. Now, I, I will say that it is better than not doing the treadmill. But what I find interesting about this study is, is um, the push-up test itself is a great test because what we're really testing is um, strength and muscle and, and, and muscle. So people who have um, more muscle can do more push-ups usually. And, and, uh, uh, and so what we know from, from all the research says is the more muscle mass you have into your, into your later years, um, the longer you're going to live uh, across all. It's, it's the number one thing that, that uh, uh, um, predicts lo how long you're going to live is how much muscle mass you have. And so, you know, being able to do push-ups is, um, is a sign of muscle and low body fat. Because if, you, you, if, if you're strong, you have a lot of muscle, but you also have a lot of body fat, it's harder to do 40 push-ups. <laughs> I was waiting, waiting for Gigi there to, to, to chime in, but I think, I think her brain was just processing all the stuff I just no, said. I have, I have so much to say. It's, it's, um, because like the push-up, it's, it, first of all, it is, um, it's certainly a better parallel of what you described a firefighter goes through, right? Because you can, the, the reality is like with a treadmill, you can only run as fast as you can run on a treadmill, but when you put that gear on, that gear is the same for every fucking person, regardless of how fit or unfit they are, right? If you put them on a treadmill, they're only going to be able to run as fast as they can run. And it's like, you can run for 10 minutes, but are you running at like a three or are you running at a seven, right? And they're not testing that. Like in the treadmill test, they're looking at, can you run for 10 minutes? But that's not the same as can you unfit human and fit human both wear 100 pounds worth of gear run into somewhere where there's low oxygen there's high stress it's high heat temperature right obviously um so it's a it's a 
it's a really physiological challenge as opposed to a treadmill. You're only ever going to push yourself as much as you can push yourself. Now, with the treadmill, again, there's two variables that you can look at. You can look at how long can you run for and how fast are you running. With a push-up, it's you do or you don't, which is a lot closer, and this is obviously an oversimplification, but it's a lot closer to either you have the gear on or you don't have the gear on, right? You're either in that high-stress situation or you're not in that high-stress situation. And one of the things that you didn't mention about the physiological nature of the push-up is your core strength which is like, if you can't support your spine and your abdomen, you can't pull someone out of a burning building with a hundred pounds of gear on, right? Like, and you also won't be able to do a push up. So there's that direct kind of correlation between like, you know, with the, with running your legs can, you know, it's like, I, I don't, do you ever watch How I Met Your Mother? There was this episode where Barney had to run a marathon and they're like, you can't run a marathon, you don't run. And he's like, uh, running a marathon is easy. You start running and then you stop. And that's obviously, I mean, I'm not agreeing with that. Like I certainly couldn't just start and like mm -hmm. run. But on a treadmill, that's really all it is. You just start and you run. But to do a push-up, you have to have so much more in line. And like you have to have that core strength. You have to have good spinal positioning. You can't have a bad back and do 40 push-ups. Like you you physically can't, but you can have a bad back and run. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. Submaximally. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I wonder what the correlation would be to pull-ups, you know, like, again, it's, it's still, a, um, it's, you're still using your core, but not as much as a push-up, but it is a, a more direct re uh, correlation to your body, your, your strength to weight ratio. Right. So, yeah. you know, so people who, you know, even physically larger people that can do pull-ups are, are, have, have a lot more muscle mass and a lot less body fat. And so I would be curious to see if that played into it, but the domain is different, right? Because most people are going to be in that, you know, three to 10, strict pull-ups, you know, compared to, you know, that's not the same as similar as, as, as a stimulus as the, the, the fire, like you were talking about where it's sustained work. You know, a lot of firefighters, you know, they do, they go in, they pull people out, but it's a lot of times it's hauling hose, um, getting on the roof and cutting roof vents and that sort of thing. So it's, it's more like manual labor, you know, or, or they get underneath and they have a, you know, they have a, a special tool that, that they can poke holes in the sheetrock and cut. And so it's a lot of upper body, um, uh, uh, work while you're again while you're in this hot environment breathing off of the off of air so yeah it's kind of interesting and in and, and, you know but one thing I wanted to point out or two things I wanted to point out first of all I think it's really interesting that they're that they're finally starting to incorporate sort of fitness evaluations uh, more into the medical realm which which you know we've been doing you know fitness evaluations for for folks for years in the the exercise realm and this is just one step closer bringing you know actual medical care I won't call it healthcare, but you know, medical care and the fitness, they, they overlap and there should be, there should almost be no, no clear lines. It should be completely overlapped. Um, as far as having, you know, you know, when you get your health insurance, your life insurance, there should be not just a, a you know, blood work done. It should actually be, they should actually be testing your physical capacity, um, with simple tests like this, you know, and, and, uh, um, and I think that that would really, we would see tons of correlations to people who, you know, go to the hospital less or get, get sick less and all these things if they're more physically fit and active. And, um, and then, you know, you could get, you know, you could get discounts or whatever on your, on your insurance or tax breaks or whatever. And, and, uh, um, and I do know that there are life insurance companies now marketing that can you, can you run an eight minute mile? You know, can you do, can you bench press your body weight? I see those ads show up. Um, and they'll, they'll give you a discount on your life insurance because they know, you know, if you can bench press your body weight, like you're pretty fit you know? and you're less likely and you're less likely to die. So pretty neat stuff. But I did want to, I did want to add on to this and this is, this maybe is, maybe we'll save this for another podcast, but 
the, the second thing I wanted to point out was, was um, testing in general. And, you know, we, we see these, um, the, 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 what most people probably don't understand about these scientific examinations is you have to control for as many variables as possible. And so, you know, if you just, if you just, you know, uh, make it, make some, you try to create some sort of study, but there's far too many variables, it's hard to pin down what's really going on. And so it doesn't make it a good study. And so, so researchers, um, start, they simplify, they try to get as, as simple as they can and the biggest group of people they can to get the most pure um, research or the most pure numbers out of it. But that sometimes gives people tunnel vision. You know, one analogy I like to use is the football combine. And the football combine is interesting because um, there's almost no correlation to how somebody does in the combine to how they actually perform in their career. You know, so some of the people who were you know, um, drafted very low in the combine, end up being the MVPs and end up doing great. And then some people who are the, you know, the top picks and they're the, they're the you know, the, the, first, the first draft of that season end up do, doing nothing. And it's because, because now, because they know all the tests that they do at the combine, there, there are coaches who specialize in maximizing your combine score because that's going to be, a, that's going to co correlate to your income, right? The, the better you do at the combine, the sooner you're drafted, the more, more money you're going to make. But that doesn't mean you're good at playing football. You know, and so it's it's interesting that that uh, um, that again that they still use that. You know, I, 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 I what I say they should have is maybe a list of like forty things that every year they test. You know, five or ten of them. You don't know which which one they're going to test until until right before. And it's you know it's kind of a more CrossFit style uh, concept, but I think it, I think it would make people it would it would help prevent some of the specialization that we see. You know, and it's really interesting stuff like. Like how because they do the, they do the vertical leap test, which is a great measure, but you can practice the vertical leap and add a significant amount to your vertical leap just with practice. And then the forty yard dash, and there's all ways to start the forty yard dash and where you put your hands and how you start in, in things that are that really in the they do a bench press. It's max max reps at two twenty five. And again, someone could just sit around and bench press, you know, and not play a, you know not touch a football for a year, and then they could crush that test. And it's because they know the test. And going back to this 40 push-ups thing, just because the 40 push-ups show that these guys were less likely to have a, you know, a heart attack, doesn't mean you should just, ju just do push-ups. <laughs> you know, that's not that, that what it was is the push-ups was a, was a uh, example of other things, you know? And so we need to remember when it comes to these tests and these studies that it, it a lot of times it's just a, it, it's a correlation, not a causation, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And like that, that relationship correlation and causation is so, it's so tricky, right? Obviously, like if we're talking about, okay, this is one human who does 40 push-ups and he didn't have a heart attack like that. It's definitely not a causation, but it's a pretty strong correlation that we can assume are probably related, right? Like you can make some reasonable assumptions on like, okay, this is obviously an example of physiological strength which obviously means that you have some degree of health, which obviously we have shown that it's going to have an impact on your cardiovascular disease rate. Um, whereas like with the football thing, like that's just completely, it's almost totally unrelated, right? Like whether or not you can bench press max reps at 225 and throw or catch a ball are like, like they're just, they're crazy. Right. And I could see if you're looking in like the O-line or something and you're looking at that push position and you can relate that like that push position to the bench press, like, Okay, arguments can be made there, but certainly like the the push up to cardiovascular disease risk is is a pretty it's a pretty closely tied in thing regardless of what the actual causation is there. 
Um, but I think it's great that, that the industry is shifting towards how can we test health, not just sickness, because that's what a blood test does. It just looks for sickness. It doesn't look for degrees of health. It just looks like, are you within the range of normal or not? Well, you don't have cancer, so great. It's like, okay, but there's, <laughs> you know, a million ways to die in the West, right? So, um, so now that they're starting to look at more like indicators, and one of the other ones, um, which came to me when you were talking about the pull-up one that they're looking at is um, grip strength too. They're looking at like, how strong is your grip? Well, it's not how strong is your grip because grip is a direct indicator of overall strength. Like you can't deadlift 400 pounds if your grip is shitty. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, like if you can't hold yourself, you can't hold anything, you can't pull, then you're probably not strong other places. Right. So um, yeah, they've been using grip strength, I think a lot for the elderly population. And, and uh, there was correlations to, again, strength in the hand to, to life. Um, I, what I found interesting is the Russians have been using grip strength for, for um, decades um, to test for overtraining and overreaching. And uh, um, one of the things that I would do with my competitive athletes is, you know, we, we have this volume of work that they're doing, but it, it's, it's in correlation to their rest activities. You know, are they eating enough? Are they getting enough sleep and all the recovery stuff? And so what they would have them do is actually, uh, I think it was a standing broad jump and um, a grip and a grip test. And I think one other thing, those are the two that I remember. And, um, you know, what they're looking for is kind of a consistency. Now, if the person's grip strength all of a sudden starts declining um, over a period you know, of tests every, you know, over a period of days, they would actually adjust the volume because the person is, is under recovering. Um, now, if on the opposite side, if their grip starts peaking, maybe that they're, um, maybe it's because that's planned and they're, they're peaking for a competition. And so we want their nervous system and their body, you know, ready to, to perform at its best. But if they're peaking too soon and they're not competing for a couple months, they would actually add more intensity and more volume to try to get them back down to baseline and, uh, and then, and then use that. So again, grip, grip test is also, uh, as a central nervous, uh, system mm-hmm. test, right? So it's, it's your ability to, you know, square, we're talking about guys is where they, they have a, a, a meter that, you know, you basically squeeze it and then it shows how much force you're putting on it. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's actually testing your nervous system as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, um, it's, it, so again, we're looking at correlation and causation, right? And grip strength is not just about strength. So anytime that you see this, this testing of a physiological measure, you have to think like, well, is it that their brain was turned on that day or that their muscles were turned on that day, right? Like there's that, that okay, you can do a broad jump half asleep. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to be perfect and you might fall at the end of it, but you're not going to have like the degrees of variance if your brain's not in it that day. Like if you're overtraining, for example, but you definitely lose a lot of dexterity, that micro, you know, your, um, what do you call it? Fine motor skills. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was, I was like, babies do it. Like you try to went to like kids and like, you know, like a pencil and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, it's, it's all these different things are all happening inside your body, which is why it's so difficult in the first place to test for health because you don't know. And we know so little about how the body works and how the different interactions between your nervous system and your, your tissue systems and your organs and your gut health and your, you know, your emotional health and how that ties into everything. And it's just like, we're learning so much so quickly right now. And the best thing is for everyone just to keep their critical thinking on. There goes my pen. Obviously my nervous system is worn out by now. Um, (laughs) um, And, and yeah, just keep, critical thinking about stuff and questioning these things. 
Well, one of my one of my things to do is is this will be a recurring theme, I'm sure, as we talk about more research. Is is always looking at the the study itself and looking at how large is the cohort, how many people did they analyze? You know, they might say that like you know, standing upside down while eating brownies makes you lose weight, and it's like it was a study of six people and it only went for two weeks. You know what I mean? It's like so. It's usually, the number of people, how how long was it? Again, look at some of the variables. Look at the uh, the p values, which is you know how much error there was. And, and, uh, and then always take it with a grain of salt, you know, always, always kind of compare it back to kind of what you know and kind of what the other, other research is saying. Um, and, and I think it's using, you have to use that critical thinking, you know, when you see this, you know, there's always conflicting research and that a lot of that has to do with the, uh, again, the different weight methods of study and all the different variables. And a lot of times, you know, when it comes to research, you know, scientists are humans too. And, and sometimes they go into it with biases and they'll, they'll even, um, you know, change what they're measuring or change things to come out with a with the result that they want, including sometimes just something that's more extreme. You know, something that seems uh, that's going to grab that's going to grab more eyeballs. And so we just have to be careful with that because because again, there's that there's that clickbait culture that we have. And and for in science, it's the publishing, right? They want something that's that's radical so they get published and get notoriety. You know, and so we always want to. That come on, man! Like you're making it seem like all scientists are like just out to get themselves. That's not. I wouldn't say that. That's most scientists. No, no, no. Of course not. No, 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 no. It's it's still it's still a it's it's a rare occurrence, but it's been happening more. I would say, and 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 I don't think it's their fault. I just think it's the nature of the way it works right now. But but again, what we can do is re. You know, when we see a headline and we see you know like this thing and the summary of it, like we talked about, like oh, push-ups prevent heart disease. It's like, well, no, like, let me think about that for a minute. Let me look at the study. Let me see what they're really testing. And, you know, how large was the cohort? How long was it for? What were the variables? And, and, then, and then saying, okay, how can I apply this to myself? Or if you're a coach, my clients, you know, is this something that, that, we, can then, that we can then use? Yeah. Yeah. Just be critical thinking, right? Like, don't, there, there's also, you know, the media plays a big part in it too. Because it, it's like, okay, so... Who's going to really click on something like some abstract on push-ups and firefighters and the relationship to cardiovascular disease? And it probably wasn't even phrased like, even that, when I say that, that sounds interesting, but it probably was not that interesting on the actual paper, you know? <laughs> but then there's that sensationalism, right? And, and you always have to watch out for that. Like JJ said, dig a little deeper, read the article. If you can learn how to read a scientific paper, even better. Or just listen to podcasts like this one and ask the questions and and send us articles and say like, hey, I I read this. What do you guys think about this? And like, make us do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do read a lot of sciencey stuff, but I still default to 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 experts. You know, like you know, like I'm like someone will ask me an opinion about something. Like I don't really have an opinion. I just kind of follow this. I trust what this guy says, and he does his homework. So I just kind of go with what he says because I don't want to do the research. <laughs> Yeah, 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 that's smart. But you gotta you gotta watch out for who to trust. Like there is a big, and I'm not gonna mention what exactly it is about, but I'm gonna talk about it because I don't I certainly don't want to like make this a, a thing. There was a guy who was paid a lot of money by a lobbyist group to basically prove that there was a correlation between something that didn't actually exist, and he falsified a paper, and it was never repeated, and it was basically proven that he had made up the entire story, and at this point, it has caused a major health crisis, all because people are not being critically thinking, and he was stripped of his doctor's license, he was stripped of his medical license, he was stripped of his PhD, 
He's no longer a practicing scientist. He's no longer recognized by any kind of governing authority. But the damage was done, and, and it's going to take us a while to recover from that. So, like, not all scientists are bad. Yes, you do need to find a way to get funding. Um, but no matter what you read, you have to think critically about it, and you have to analyze it for your own accord and, and you know, look at the process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're running along, so we'll, we'll end it here. But I did want to add two things <laughs> that the one of them is, is if you don't know what where to start critically thinking wise, that's where the ancestral health model comes in. OK, what did our what did our ancestors do for thousands of years? How does this apply when someone says like vegetarianism is the healthiest diet? It's like, well, that's there's no real evidence of that in all the research. And then someone says, oh, everyone should eat meat because, you know, they should eat all this meat because the paleo is a thing. It's like, well, there are there are you know, there are cultures that didn't, that, that ate 60% of their, their nutrition as, as carbohydrates. And, and, and so, but, but what other things can we find in common? So if you kind of use that as a starting point is, is and then you kind of work from there, that's, that's really good. I remember the study in the, I think it was in the eighties and nineties, they said that fluorescent lights steal your vitamin D because all the people who work in the offices had low vitamin D levels. And that was, that was it. They're like, Oh, it's, it's the fluorescent lights. You know, that we found this correlation whenever there was fluorescent lights, people had low vitamin D. And of course, we all know that's wrong, but they were literally people changing the lights and spending millions of dollars changing the lights in their office buildings to prevent vitamin D deficiency. And the reality was they weren't going outside. They, they weren't getting outside in the sun. And when they did, they slathered up in all this, you know, sunblock stuff and they weren't getting, they weren't producing vitamin D. And so that was one study that just went rampant. Um, there was another one that was, um, I heard about this, this uh, a researcher has passed away, but he was in, I think he was Japanese and he had, I think like hundred, uh, more than a hundred studies that were completely made up. Like these people didn't exist. Like, and people cited them thousands and thousands of times um, in their research. And so they have to go back and, and just say like, you know, all the stuff that he did was pretty much fake. We're pretty sure, you know, and he was just doing it to get funding and, and, and promote himself in that world. And so, yeah, there are some bad apples and that's such an extreme, you know, those are such extreme cases. But again, if we all do a little bit more critical thinking and we all, you know, avoid the clickbaity stuff, you know, and try to read between the lines, then, then I think, um, then I think we'll all be better off. Agreed. <laughs> Good so, show. Yeah. So, so we'll end it there. Think about something you can make some small changes in working, working the ends, working both ends. And, uh, you know, maybe you find something in some studies to help you figure that out, but just make sure you're thinking critically, looking at the actual study and trying to decide. And if you have any ambiguity, then just, again, find somebody who, who, uh, who you trust that you can uh, ask. Yay. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you in the next podcast. Bye, Gigi.